set sail. We ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. I'm so proud of you guys for making it out here. I'm so glad you made it in without slipping and falling, or if you did, you got up. <laughs> wow. Wow, way to go, guys. I really am impressed with how many people are in this room, uh, given the road conditions. So thanks for being here. Well, I thought we'd start off with something really spiritual, and that is to just all of us unite and give out a really big cheer for the reality that the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. Can we just celebrate that together? Yes. Yes. So last night after the service, a dear lady came up to me and she said, John, you need to know I'm from Boston. I'm a huge Patriots fan. And uh, I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she said, oh, no, you didn't offend me. I said, oh, no, I mean, I'm sorry you're a Patriots fan. <laughs> But we want you to know that we do love you here, no matter what your background is. And truly, even if you are a Patriots fan, uh, we still love you here and, and you're wanted here. One of my favorite things about this Super Bowl was the reality that this quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles, is a really strong follower of Jesus, a Christian. Not just kind of a Christian, but like an all-out Christian. In fact, if you look at his wrist, you see here the 1990s vintage WWJD bracelet. These technically went out of style, you know, stylistically speaking, but Nick is a guy who literally lives this way. As you read profiles about him and watch interview footage of him, he's a guy who's all out for Jesus, and we'll actually talk about that a little later in our time today. And we're talking today about getting lasting results in your life. In this series launch, many of us have seen God at work in our lives. We've been growing as a church, and so many of us have been growing as individuals. And today we're asking the question, how do you get lasting results? How do you not be one of those people who starts well, maybe you stopped smoking, or you've reconnected with God, or you've started to work on your marriage. How do you be someone who doesn't just kind of flare up with an exciting, I'm going to do this, and then fizzle out? How do you be someone who's a strong finisher, someone who continues, someone who gets lasting results? I have an illustration of this. Uh, some of you know I used to do, when I was a newspaper editor, uh, the toughest job of my life, I joke about. I had to drive a different brand new car every week for an auto review column that I wrote. And I mean, it was tough, you know, an Audi this week, a BMW that week. It was just just miserable job, okay? But uh, here's what I learned. Even brand new cars break down sometimes. I was once driving a new BMW X5. It had about 2,000 miles on it, and the power steering pump went out. 
and it had these huge wheels. I could hardly even turn the steering wheel when the power steering pump blew out. So when God called me into ministry and I realized I'm going to have to buy my own car, I started to do research of, you know, what is the most reliable car ever built? Because I knew I wouldn't have a lot of disposable income for making repairs. And so I did all this nerdy research. And I won't tell you my conclusion because I don't want to offend you if you're a fan of a different brand. I know we've got Chevy people, Ford people, Dodge people, Honda people, Toyota people. We're all welcome here, okay? Even Patriots fans, okay? But I did find what is the most reliable car ever built. It's a truck, actually. And I've got a year 2000. It's got quite a few miles on it. I was driving around town the other day, and I saw a guy coming the other way. Same truck, same year, same color. So I flashed my headlights at him. And he followed me into a parking lot. He put down his window. He said, hey, what year is is yours? I said, oh, it's a 2000. He said, mine too. He said, how many miles do you have? So I looked down at my odometer, and here's what I saw. I said, well, I've got uh, 275,185. And I said, you know, original engine and transmission, it still runs like it's new. He said, mine does too. You're not going to believe this. Same color, same year, same town. He said, mine has 275,232. So he beat me by like 50 miles. But it was just the coolest little, coolest little interaction. And, you know, here's the thing. It's one of the quirks about my personality. I highly value reliability. Uh, my truck is really slow, zero to 60 sometime, you know. Um, <laughs> gets terrible gas mileage, but it always starts. It always runs. And, I, you know, every day I'm pretty confident it's going to start up. I feel more confident about it than some of the newer cars that I used to drive, okay? How do you get in life that kind of reliability? How do you get that kind of, hey, whether it's sunny out, whether it's cold out, the good results that I've had are going to continue. How do you make it stick or how do you get lasting results? Every January, millions of Americans quit smoking, millions of Americans get gym memberships, millions of Americans start a new diet, and by February, the vast majority of them do not have lasting results. They started well, but they didn't stick with it. And in contrast, I think of these Super Bowl champions or these Olympic athletes who become world champions, and you think, these are people who didn't just start well, but somehow they stuck with it. What is it that they did that allowed them to translate a moment of inspiration into a lifetime of change? Because if we're not careful, January's been a powerful month here. We've had powerful baptism weekend, powerful teaching from God's word about the Holy Spirit, and powerful stories and individual lives of marriages that are changing and individuals that are changing. And we're starting a new season as a church, and it has been inspirational, at least for me, as I've gotten to know so many of you. How do we translate that into a lifetime of consistency and change as a church and as individuals? So in, in my life, there's three obstacles that prevent this from happening. Three reasons why people who start well don't finish well. And the first one is adversity. People start well on a diet or they start well in getting their marriage restored, but some kind of adversity comes up and it discourages them. The second one is fatigue. People start well and they're really on the right track, but they just get worn out. You know, it's been a month and a half without dessert, and it's like, forget it, I'm having dessert. 
Okay, now the third reason that often a moment of inspiration doesn't translate into a lifetime of change is distraction. You're on the right road, you're on the right path, but you just get distracted by the busyness of life, the noise of life, the complexity, the kids, the bills, the school, the waking up in the middle of the night for the little ones, all that stuff, and you just, you either get distracted. I've seen in my life, sometimes I get distracted because I haven't seen a bunch of results. Other times, I start to see results, and I forget the disciplines that got me there, and I kind of fizzle out on my discipline, and I don't get the long-term results. So those are three common barriers, but there's one solution that overcomes all three of those, and it's what I want to share with you today, because what God wants for you, what I want for you, is not only moments of inspiration, but a lifetime of change. So God answers this question for us. It's in Acts chapter 2. And here in Acts chapter 2, we find this brand new little church, the very first Christians. We learned about them last week. It started off as a group of 120. And these 120 people, you may remember at first, they were frightened for their lives because their leader had been dragged out into the public square. He'd been tortured and killed. So they were afraid for their lives, but then the risen Jesus appears to them and he says, you 120 people, you're going to go change the world. You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to spread my message to the ends of the earth. You don't have a building, you don't have a budget, you don't have any resources, you don't have any political power, you don't have an army, you don't have a media outlet, but you 120 are going to go spread this message to the ends of the earth. And he said, but wait, don't try to do it in your own strength. Acts 1 verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we saw last week that this group did receive the Holy Spirit, and we learned how we can live with the Holy Spirit's power every day, and it was a moment of inspiration for these people. In fact, as the Holy Spirit starts to work in their group, one of them stands up and gives a message to the people of Jerusalem, and in one day, 3,000 people became Christians and gave their lives to Jesus. So this group has grown from 120 to 3,120. They have had major moments of inspiration. But what we're about to see in God's word is the solution, the way of life that enabled them to translate that into lifelong change which ended up changing the world. So let's start in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And here's God's answer to the question, how do you get long-term results? They, notice the plural, this is a group, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's teaching from the word of God. That's what we're doing right now, what we do here every weekend. And to fellowship. Fellowship's just getting together with other Christians. I think the technical Greek definition is two fellows in a ship. It's kind of corny, but okay. (laughs) So, So they devote themselves to the word of God, to getting together, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. As they're doing this in community, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. In other words, as they kept gathering around God's word and gathering together, God kept working in miraculous ways. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, the temple courts, it was a huge building there in Jerusalem 
And it was a lot like the size of this building. It was a place where 3,120 people could actually gather together. So this is the big gathering. But then notice, they also broke bread. That is, they ate together. They practiced the Lord's Supper in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people as they start to grow the city starts to notice what's happening with them. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So how did they keep the excitement going? How did they take those big moments of inspiration and translate it into a lifetime of change? The short answer is that they found a group to keep them on fire. They found a team that helped them live this new way of life as a lifestyle and they committed to a life where they were gathering in the big group and they were gathering in their homes in small groups. So what does this mean for you? What does it mean for me? And this launch series as we say, how do I be the best version of myself? Here's what it means. I can't be the best version of myself without a team. I can't be the best version of myself without a team. Now, typically when I study God's word and I pray about how do we apply this to our lives, I try to state things in the positive. So this sentence would read in the positive, I can be the best version of myself when I have a team. But I have intentionally stated it in the negative and here's why. Because I'm a guy who's a little bit independent. I like a truck that I know, I paid for it with cash, it's never gonna break down, it will always work. I, I, I'm a guy who's got a little bit of an independent streak in me that like, hey, you know, whatever happens in the world, whatever goes on, I've kinda got a little plan, I'm gonna take care of my family, I've got, and I've got this independent, self-reliant streak in me, and I happen to know I'm not the only guy in the room who has a little bit of that in him. I happen to know that I'm in a room full of people, really good people who love Jesus and say, well, that's good for the kind of extroverts in the group, but I can grow on my own. It's just me and God. And here's the thing, it's true, you can grow on your own. If it's just you and God, you can grow a lot spiritually, you can see a lot of results, but you're not gonna see your best results. You're not gonna see your best results until you get into a team. We saw this in the text that we just read in Acts chapter two. If there was a Christian who said, okay, I believe in Jesus, I'm one of this 3,120, but really it's just me and Jesus, it's just a one-on-one -on -one thing, I'm gonna go off in the desert by myself, they would have missed out when the next verse says, and they were filled with awe and wonder as they saw these miraculous things happening. They would have missed out on the laughing together in the homes. They would have missed out. And so the reality is you can be a good growing Christian to some degree without a team, but you will not ever be the best version of yourself without a team. We see this in every domain of life. If you think even non-spiritually of just financial success or athletic success, there's no Super Bowl winning quarterback who wins the Super Bowl without a team. Even if you think of solo sports in the Olympics like skiing or swimming or sprinting, the very best athletes always train with a team. They've got a group of peers who are pushing them, who are challenging them. I would challenge you that there's no domain of life where you can be the best version of yourself if you don't have a team around you. Here's the spiritual 
growth guarantee that I like to give as a pastor. This is a life guarantee. I call it the big three, okay? If you will do these three things, if you will do these three things from your heart, you will grow, okay? The first one is gather. It's what you're doing right now. When we gather in the big group, if you will commit to a way of life where you say, I don't just sometimes gather with the group, but you know, unless I'm sick or out of town, I'm there with my tribe because they're my team and that's how I become the best version of myself. If you'll commit to that, you'll start to see more results. And then if you'll commit to also be in a small group where you've got you know, eight or 10 or 12 people who really know you and they know your struggles and they know your quirks, you're gonna start to see even more results. And then if you start to serve others with the gifts God's given you. Here's what I've seen. I've been a pastor for about 10 years now and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people individually walking with them through their journey. And I've just seen this over and over again. No matter what your background, no matter your addictions, no matter the state of your marriage or finances or career, if you will do these three things from the heart and do them consistently, you will see serious spiritual growth in your life. And the flip side is true. If you start to neglect these three things, even if you've grown a lot spiritually in the past, you'll start to lose some of the gains that you had. Just like with a diet or with exercise or with finances, there's not 50 things you have to do. There's just a few things. I like calling it the big three because the big three principle is true about a lot of things in life. You know, if you want to plant a tree and you want it to grow, it does not need 50 things. It just needs sunlight, water, and good soil. Give it those three things, it'll grow. And it's just that simple spiritually. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible. There's lots of stuff to learn. But if you want to grow spiritually, if you want the results you've seen in January to continue as a way of life, then it's the big three. And so today, we're going to zoom in on the second of the big three, and that is having a team, having a group that knows you by name. They know if you don't show up, and they're not going to guilt you and shame you, but they're going to call and say, hey, are you doing okay? How's your life? What's going on? You've got a group of people looking out for you and you've got a group of people that you're looking out for. So let's learn from God's word five reasons why we all need a team around us from this little passage in Acts 2, 42 to 47. The first is this. It's in the team that I learn spiritual skills and find family. That happens in the team. Verse 42 said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now that word fellowship is a Greek word koinonia, probably one of the most famous Greek words, koinonia. It means association, community. It means a gift given by a group as a sign of their loyalty to each other. So it's in the small group, it's in the breaking of the bread in the homes that they move from just kind of seeing each other to being loyal to each other. Do you have anyone who's loyal to you? Do you have a group that you are loyal to that happens when you get a team around you? Quarterback Nick Foles from the Philadelphia Eagles illustrates this really, really well. Uh, Nick was always pointing up to God whenever he would um, make a good play. And here's a picture from an ABC News article this came out a couple days before the Super Bowl. It says, Nick Foles plans to become a pastor after football. 
And I want to read you some quotes from this ABC News article. Foles tells the reporter, I want to be a pastor in a high school. It's on my heart. I took a leap of faith last year and signed up to take classes at seminary. I wanted to continue to learn and challenge my faith. So Nick has found that all the fame, all the money of being a professional athlete is one thing, but studying the word of God and seeing God work in his life is even more fulfilling and more lasting. And, you know, he made the mistake of starting in seminary. I made that same mistake when I was a journalist. I thought, I'll keep working as a reporter and I'll just kind of work on a seminary degree on the side for fun, you know, and it's just a spiral. It just sucks you in, okay? It sucks you in because you start to see people's lives change. And in fact, the same ABC News story says this, Foles is part of a team that has a strong Christian brotherhood. MVP contender Carson Wentz has been outspoken about his faith. And many players spend a lot of time together in prayer studying the Bible and sharing devotionals. Now, next week, I'm gonna show you guys a three-minute video about the Philadelphia Eagles team and how they essentially have this group of Christians who are a spiritual team within the team, and they're the core of the team. And this group, you'll see in the video, they meet on Monday night for a couple's Bible study. All the guys on the team, whether they're married, engaged, have a girlfriend, they get together with their partners and they have a couple's Bible study every Monday night. Every Thursday night, they have a men's Bible study for for the guys. And then because on Sunday morning, they're usually playing football, they have a Saturday night church service at their practice facility where they all come together on Saturday night. They're living a way of life where they have a team. And my favorite moment of the Super Bowl was after the celebration is going on and all the media is wanting interviews when these new all-star champions of the world gather in a circle and they kneeled and they prayed together. They weren't just doing that as some kind of show. That's their way of life. They have a team. They have a way of life. And Nick has said in some of the interviews, you know, someday I'll be old. Someday I won't be able to throw a football. But what I've found in Jesus and in his word and in the community of believers is something that I'll never outgrow. And did you know that God wants that kind of community, that kind of tribe, that kind of team for you? Now here's these guys who are at the prime of their life, prime of success and fame and fortune, and they're saying what we've found in Christian community is more fulfilling than this. And God God wants that for you. And that's why we're here as a church, to help you experience that. Well, the second thing we learn from Acts 2 is this. It's in the team that I see God's power at work. It's in the team that I see God's power at work. Verse 43 said, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs that were being done. I want you to think back in your life to the moments of spiritual breakthrough. The moments where you really turned a corner, you, you really dramatically grew with God or you experienced him like never before. Now, if you're like me, there might be some where it was just you and God one-on-one. I mean, there was a, a time in my life, I, I can put myself there visually. It was three o'clock in the morning. I was sitting by myself under a tree in the grass, looking up at the stars and I called out to God and I connected with him one-on-one. And you may have some moments like that. But if you think really about All the times God has broken through in your life, in my life, that one where it was just me and God is kind of an exception because all the other ones, I was in a group 
or I was on a team or I was on a trip. I was with a group of other people in a room like this and God spoke to me. The reality is that when we're together with the team, we experience God's power in ways that we can't when we're off on our own. It's in the team that I see God's power at work. There's no truly successful person who has succeeded without a team. It's true in the physical realm and it's true in the spiritual realm. Here's an example from the physical realm. One of my favorite, favorite eras of IndyCar racing. Here's the 1965 Indy 500 winner, Jim Clark. And this is my favorite era because they don't have all the aerodynamic downforce stuff yet. It's this kind of simple era still. Nothing electronic going on, but you've got 500 horsepower Ford V8 in the back of this tiny little car. That's amazing. So here's this guy, Jim Clark, and he's the big star, right? He's the driver. But I love this picture because it shows the reality. He couldn't win the Indy 500 without a team. It takes a pit crew. It takes a crew chief. And it's the exact same in life. You see someone who's really successful spiritually. I mean, their family's healthy. They just have a stable life. They're full of joy. They're bearing fruit. I guarantee you that person has a team. That person has a team. They've got a, they've got a pit crew that they go into when they're worn out. They've got people who, who kind of hold them accountable. They've got some crew chiefs in their life who say, hey, man, you're going really fast lately. I don't want you to run into the wall and turn three. Are you aware of, of, are you keeping track of what you're doing? They've got a team around them. And God designed us this way. So he tells us in his word, this is what we need. Question, who's your team? Do you have a team? We're here this weekend and we're here every weekend to give you that team and to help connect you into that kind of team. Third reason why you need a team if you want to become the best version of yourself. It's in the team that I share my difficulties and I also share the joy of others. It's in the team that I share my difficulties and I share the joy of others. You remember this group of 120 Christians when they started, they were a persecuted minority. They were discriminated against, but they had each other. Even in the face of adversity and opposition and even threats to their lives, they had each other. One of my favorite pictures of this is the emperor penguin. The emperor penguin, of course, lives where it's very cold, probably about minus 40 degrees when this picture was taken without the wind chill. Factor in the wind chill and you're getting down to negative 60, negative 70. And here's what's really interesting about this picture. These are all dudes. Uh, these are actually all the emperor penguin dads. Now, the scientists have learned when it's a little bit warmer. Uh, by the way, this, this is just science. This is penguins. I'm not saying this is humans. But the women are literally off getting the food. The women are off getting the food. It's just the way it works. There's no food here. So the women go away to get the food. These dads are not only trying to survive the winter. They're all uh, kind of hovering over an egg, the next generation. Every one of these dads has an egg underneath him, and it's his job to survive the winter to protect the egg. Now, here's the reality. If one emperor penguin was out on his own, even with all his, you know, fat suit and everything that he's got on, if he's out on his own in that cold, he will die, and his egg, his next generation will die. So these guys, when it's warm, 
they stay together as a flock, but they've got a little elbow room, a little wing room when it's warm. But when it's cold, they huddle together for survival. And each of these guys with an egg underneath him, they kind of waddle and they huddle. And if you could look at it from above, it looks like a misshapen donut, maybe a bear claw. Okay, it's this kind of big circle. They're all in a group. And scientists have measured at the very middle of the group, it's 80 degrees warmer than the outside air. And so what they do is this. In fact, there's time-lapse videos of this, that it's this slow shuffle. The guys on the outside are bearing the brunt of the cold. They're carrying the real weight of it. And very slowly, they shuffle And in a spiral way, they make their way to the middle of the group where it's 80 degrees warmer. They get warmed up and then very slowly they work their way back to the outside of the group. And if it wasn't for the flock, these guys would die. So they're huddled up, not because they're touchy-feely fellas, but because they know if I want to survive, I need a flock. I need a team. And they're committed to each other and they're committed to raising their next generation. And that's what I'm so excited about with this church. That's why I moved across the country to be here. Because as I got to know you guys, I learned this is a tribe that's an actual flock. This is a place I can raise my kids with you guys. And we can huddle in together in the storms of life. And we can keep each other warm. And we can take turns being on the outside and really taking the brunt of the wind It's in the team that I share my difficulties and I share the joy of others. Here's something I've experienced in a home group when you're sharing the difficulties. There'll be times that you go into the small group and and maybe you just lost a loved one and you're grieving and it's this weight that's on your shoulders and you go into the group and you share that with the group and they pray over you and they encourage you And you know what happens is that weight that's on your shoulders, it gets spread out around the whole circle. This happens for me with the elders. They're one of my teams. As we carry the weight of leading this church spiritually, it's not just on my shoulders. There's a whole elder board. And when it gets heavy, I go into them and I share that and it gets distributed around the group. And here's what you'll start to experience when you really get into a small group and you say, this isn't going to be something on the side. This is going to be my way of life. You'll experience that your difficulties get lighter. At the same time, you'll have weeks where you go in and you share something heavy and that you're grieving. And then someone else in the group says, hey, I don't want to be insensitive to those of you going through hard times, but we just had a new granddaughter born and here's her picture and they tell you a story and you know what happens? Their joy spreads around the circle. And not only do you have people who carry your burdens, but you also have people who you get to share their joy and it becomes a two-way street. Then you carry their burdens and they share your joy and you become part of a huddle. You become a truly a part of the flock. So you think of these Arctic storms that these guys survive through and I wonder, are you alone in the storms of life? I wonder, do you have a a flock that would huddle around you if you got a call that it was cancer? Or if you have a wayward child who won't call you back? Or if your boss came in and said, hey, your whole department's being eliminated? Or if the stock market crashes and your whole retirement portfolio goes way down in value? do Do you have a flock around you? Do you have a team? We're here today 
to get you plugged in to a team like that. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I was at lunch the other day with a brother in the Lord and he asked me this. He said, John, how are you sensing God's love in your life right now? He's one of these very quiet guys who once he asks a question, he just sits there. And so it's awkward and you have to really think about the answer. He said, how are you sensing, how are you feeling God's love in your life? And I thought about it and I said, you know, honestly, I'm feeling God's love through his people right now. And the more I thought about it, I told him, I don't know how Christians who don't have a small group, I don't know how they, I don't know how they live. And this very quiet guy, he said, John, here's how they live. They live without sensing God's love for them. As he said that, I, I really thought about this reality that we are the body of Christ. Jesus is the one who came up with that analogy. So you know the closest you can get in this life to getting a hug from Jesus? It's getting a hug from his body. And it's when you've got that team, when you've got that small group around you, that if you're standing at a graveside, or you're mourning or you're grieving, you feel a hand on your shoulder. Or someone wraps you up in a hug. And you physically feel the love of God coming through the body of Christ. And it's what God wants for you. It's how you become the best version of yourself. Well, next, it's in the team that my needs are met. Verse 45 says that they were selling their possessions and goods and giving to those who were in need. Now, it doesn't look from the text like this was some kind of Soviet socialist communist thing where in one moment everyone sold everything and they put it in a big pile to be redistributed. That's not the idea. The idea was as they're gathering in homes and someone with resources sees a need, the person with resources sells something and meets the need. And here's the thing, if you just commit to keep gathering here in the big group, you'll grow because of the teaching of the word of God and, and because of what happens here. But you could be three seats away from someone who could meet your needs or who needs you to meet their needs and you won't know it in this room. It's when you're in a small group, it's when you're in a living room that you experience this. And here's how I've experienced it. I was once in a small group where there was a single mom and the single mom in the small group, the transmission went out on her car. Now for her, this was not just an inconvenience, this was a catastrophic event because she was working two hourly jobs, she's got kids in school, and if without that car, she can't show up for her job, and it's not the kind of job where she can just take some vacation days while she figures it out. So she shares this with the group and we pray for her. And you know what? A group of eight to 12 Americans, we all pitch in, we're able to get a new transmission for that car. We're able to meet her need. And then you know what I saw come full circle? Later on, there's someone in the group, someone who financially getting a transmission, not a big deal for that person. But that person didn't have a lot of true friends in life. Didn't have a lot of the things that money can't buy. And I was able to see that single mom meet the needs of that person who had some financial resources, but had some needs that money could never meet. Our needs get met when we're part of a team, when we're loyal to a team, when we're committed to a team and that's what a small group is. A wise friend once told me this, he said, John, if you wanna see what you're gonna look like in five years, show me who your five closest friends are. Show me your five closest friends and I can create for you a mosaic, a composite of what your career is gonna be like, what your marriage is gonna be like, even probably what you're gonna look like 
if you show me your five closest friends. And this is what a small group is about. It's about getting together with some other people, different backgrounds, different experiences, different ways of life, but one unifying thing in common. We're a group of people who know that Jesus is the answer to all our problems. And we're a group of people who are committed to learning to live like Jesus and we're committed to each other. Fifth reason we all need a team or fifth lesson from this text is this, the team gathers on two levels. There's the big group that met in the temple courts and then there's the small group that met in homes. Verse 46 described this. And I love verse 46 because it says, they met in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So if you ever start into a group and it feels like, ah, we're just showing up and we're all answering these questions, but we're not really connecting, God gives you the solution in verse 46, it's food. (laughs) You gotta get some food up in there. And it says with glad and sincere hearts. You know, there's nothing wrong as a group with saying, hey, we're gonna take a couple weeks where we're not going deep in God's word because we're gonna laugh together and we're gonna share life together. We're gonna actually create a a fabric that we're knit together relationally and emotionally. And then in that fabric, then we'll weave in the word of God. They met together, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, I have to address a, a a real concern and that is some of you have tried a small group before and you've had a bad experience. I had a really encouraging lunch last week because I was meeting with a couple from this church. They've only been here three or four years and they're fairly new Christians and their first small group experience was terrible. I mean, it it was like, you know, there's some people out there, by the way, the church is made up of broken people, right? If you ever find a small group or a team where everyone is perfect, don't join it or you'll make it imperfect, okay? (laughs) And it's the same with churches where we are places of broken people. We're all in progress. Sometimes you try a group and there might be someone in there who's just at a place of such brokenness that they're emotionally just off or they're just in a way that the the group can't meet in a healthy way. This family that I met with, that was their experience and it was deeply discouraging to them. But here's where I was so encouraged. They didn't give up, okay? They realized that group's not the one and then they started over. And now the wife is in a group with other women and the husband's getting in a group with other men. And they were describing the wife's group with women that every week it meets at their house. And the husband was saying, he goes upstairs to his office and he just hears for about two hours, he just hears laughter filling the whole house. That's what they found. And they found it because they didn't give up. So some of you, I wanna encourage you, maybe you've tried getting in a small group and it just didn't work, don't give up, okay? Or maybe because of this message you try, and, and three, four months in, you think, I've really given it a shot, but this isn't the group for me. Let us know, okay? We will help you out. We are here to serve you. We're here to equip you. We're here to help you, okay? Uh, I'll give you an illustration of this. I don't know if you've ever had food poisoning where you eat at a restaurant, meal tastes good, and then you get home and like violently that food is getting back out of your body. It happened to me about 10 years ago. My wife and I ate at a restaurant called P.F. Chang's. We had this nice dinner and uh, I hope I don't ruin all your P.F. Chang's experiences, okay? But I had the most violent food poisoning I've ever had in my life, and so I just vowed after that. The next day I was like, I'm never eating at P.F. Chang's ever again in the rest of my life. I will never go back to P.F. Chang's. But here's the thing, I didn't give up on restaurants in general. I also didn't give up on eating in general, okay? 
So if you've had a bad church experience in your past or you've had a bad group experience in your past, maybe don't go back to that specific group, but don't give up on church and don't give up on eating spiritually, okay? God's got a group for you and, and hang in there with it. You'll find the right team. You'll find the right team if you keep looking for it. So here's what I want to encourage you with. Just a few things. One, encouraged, you have a team here. Okay, if you look around this room, this is a room full of people. We're all imperfect, but we all love you. We all want the best for you. And the reason I moved across the country to be part of this church is this is a room full of people who all truly want to help each other. We want to help you. We want to be a team to you. So how do you take advantage of that? You know, you go to a gym or somewhere else. You want to be part of a group fitness class. It's like it's this much a month or it's this much a month. Here's a group that's free, okay? We want to give you what you need in life for free. I'm going to give you two simple steps. Number one, commit that you'll be here on the weekends. And I say this because uh, recent research has come out that right now in America, the people who say, I'm an active Christian, I'm devoted to a local church, they attend on average 1.7 weekends per month. So if you think there's four weekends in a month, the average American who says I'm a strong Christian is there just under half the time. And so it's my role as a shepherd and as a leader to say, I love you. I want the best for you. There's no shame. There's no guilt. We don't come to church to try to get God's favor. We're afraid he's going to hit us with lightning if we don't go to church. It's not about that. But it is about lasting results. Do you really want to be the best version of yourself? Do you really want to see what God's doing in your life as a way of life? Then make your calendar one where being with the big gathering of believers, that's what I do. Unless I'm sick or out of town... I'm there with the flock because there's people who need me and I need it if I'm going to be the best version of myself. So very simple way to do this is you just pull out your calendar on your phone or your computer or on your kitchen wall. And instead of saying, we're going to plan in all the stuff we need to do and when we can go to church, we will. You just flip it. And you say, because I want to be the best version of myself, the first thing we plan is every weekend that we're not out of town or sick, we'll be at church and then we'll fit in what else, what else we can fit in, okay? For some of you, that's your takeaway today because you just started coming in January. You're just growing. Boom, do that. You're gonna see results. You're gonna see lasting results. Others of you, you've been doing that. Here's step two. You get into a small group. You get into a small group and we have a huge event for you, custom designed for you, a week from today called Group Connect. And if you pull out your program, you'll see this blue panel and this is all about, this is a really special event. We've got staff and volunteers who are so passionate about this. They've got a custom event where we will get to know where do you live? What stage of life are you in? Do you want to be in a group with other men, other women, a mixed group, et cetera, et cetera? And we are going to do our very best to connect you with a group, okay? Now that's an event. If you can make that event, it's the best way to get into a group. But I know some of you are here and you might think, oh, I've got a scheduling conflict or... I, I want to do that, but I also know, John, you talked about distraction being an obstacle. And when I leave here today, by the time next week rolls around, I might have forgotten about it. Or if for any other reason this doesn't work for you, then just text the word group to this number, 317-350-0446. Now, the last way, you have no excuses today, okay? if you want the best for yourself, is on our communication card here. It's perforated. If you fill this out, you can drop it in the offering and just write group on it really big, okay? So we're gonna do our part if you choose to do your part. If you wanna get into a group, we'll do everything we can 
to help you get into one. I want to close with a story I once heard about two men who were sitting in front of a fireplace. There was a young man and there was an older wise man. And the young man said to the older wise man, I just feel alone. I feel kind of disconnected in life. The young man was working very hard. He was very busy. He was not living in community. He didn't have a team. And this old man took one of those long fire pokers. And he reached into the fire and he poked into a red hot log and he pulled it out of the fire away from the other logs. And the two sat there and they watched that log that was red hot start to cool and where it was amber red start to turn charcoal. And then the old man pushed that cooling log back into the fire where surrounded by the other logs, it heated right back up and the young man got the idea. You see, it's when we gather with the other believers. Some of you, you've known God in the past. You've started to cool down. It's because you're, you're not in a team. Others of us, God's been working. Don't take it for granted. It's because we've been gathering as a team that God's at work. Did you know when we meet in this room, we actually set the thermostat 10 or 15 degrees cooler than we want it to be? Because when all of us get in here with all of our body heat, it raises the temperature of the room. And that's true in small groups too, by the way, in your living room, you might prepare in advance, okay? But here's the principle. What's true physically is also true spiritually. When you gather with other believers, it will warm you. It will bring light and warmth to you that you can't experience on your own. So I'm gonna pray that for you now and we're gonna get you connected today. Father, we thank you Lord, you love every person in this room so much. God, you want the very best for every man in this room, every woman in this room. You've got to, you do have good plans for their eternity to be with you through Christ. And in this life, in the storms of life, to have a flock around them, to have a team that meets their needs and where they meet the needs of others. And Lord, you've spoken to us clearly from your word again. And so now the choice is ours to decide, will I commit to be a Christian who's there every weekend because that's my team and I'm committed to them? Will I be a follower who sees lasting results by getting a team around me, whether it's just men or just women or a mixed group, but I'm gonna have my small group that I meet with consistently and they know my needs and I know theirs. They're my pit crew, they're my crew chief, they're my accountability, my encouragement. Lord, I pray today that everyone in this room will leave here having chosen a step of obedience to follow you, Jesus, in gathering here faithfully, in getting into a group. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion now, we remind ourselves that, Jesus, it's because of the cross that we get to be on your team. It's because of the cross that we've been made right with God. And so we praise you for taking the penalty for our sins. We praise you for the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus' blood and in his name. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.